Very fun, very fun. Gosh, it's great to be with you. I love what God's doing in this community, in this church, and, and what a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story is unfolding here. So it's been fun over the last number of months to get to know Doug and the executive team and the full staff, and now to get to know you as well. Uh, delighted, delighted to be with you. And, uh, and our topic today is gonna be a continuation where Doug started this three-part series uh, last week about the priority of the soul and the well-being of your soul and how it impacts all the different areas of your life. And I listened to his message and I know he gave you an assignment, so I'm checking in to see. I won't tell him, but anybody do the thing where you sat down? Look at you, a couple of you guys did. Yeah, you sat down and said, what is going on in my soul lately? And not what do I believe about God, but what's actually true about me right now. Such an important soul-searching sort of examen of your life. So great, if you haven't done it yet, you can always pick up a pen and carve out a quiet place and, and do that kind of a thing, it's important. And uh, I, I live up the street uh, a little bit, up in Boulder County, and We've been a little bit disrupted uh, since the wildfires that came through on New Year's Eve Eve. And, uh, and, and so part of what I, what, the reason I wanted to mention that is that this, um, this vision of living your life deeply rooted in God, caring for your soul, bringing intentionality to that, uh, actually makes a profound difference in our resilience, in our ability to endure even really, really hard things. Um, some of you may be in really hard, disruptive circumstances right now, or it might be relatively easygoing, I don't know, we're still a couple of years on into a global pandemic and now there's disruption significant in the economy in Europe and all that, no one knows. No one knows where we're going. But, none of us, no humans do. But I am here to tell you that there is a way of ordering our life, a way of life, you could say, that allows the depth of our real-time, in-the-moment connection with God to absolutely ground us, infuse us with life, and enable us to live into the challenges of ordinary life and even extraordinary circumstances in ways that we can be bearers of the kingdom, we can be bearers of love and joy and hope and peace and all kinds of beautiful things. So uh, yeah, that's been my story the last number of things. We're still living in an Airbnb, um, but God is, God, is a, God is with us, right? Wherever you're at right now, God is with us, profoundly and very really. So my hope in this part of this series, uh, in partnering with, with you all and, and with Doug and the team, has been to say, okay, the care of the soul might be super important, and it is, but how does that concept connect with this idea of transformation, of who we're becoming in Christ? The sort of formal language around that is usually called spiritual formation. And so I'm gonna use like a diagram to kind of map that out, and then we'll end with a bit of a metaphor that I hope will be meaningful to you. That's my, that's my hope and my prayer. And that all of this will land with you in a way that feels, and maybe many of you, this might already be your way of life, and you're saying, yes, go, more and more. But for you, if this is new, if this is like a new, like I hadn't really thought about my soul, and I don't really know what it means to take care of it, and what that would mean for my journey with God, 
Um, I hope that this will be a, a time that feels like a refreshing invitation, not anything rigid or a thing I need to go do, but something that actually is from the Lord to you, an invitation into uh, his, his life, into him. Uh, even, even more than the beginning of our spiritual journey in a way that's ongoing. So that's what we're gonna do. And, and to start it off, I am going to begin my diagram with what I, I am utterly convinced is the most reductionist diagram that has ever existed in the world, really. You can, you can look this up, I'm sure I'm right. You ready for this reductionist diagram? This line is to depict the human soul over time. And it's a little more wobbly than it was meant to be. It's just supposed to be straight. I'm not a very good artist. So imagine that's straight. It is one's soul over time. And the fact about being human is that, and I kind of draw this kind of squirrely and all around, uh, is our fact of being human is that we're always being shaped and formed. We're always becoming a certain kind of person. I think you think of it that way. We're always becoming like a little more generous and open and kind and whatever, forgiving. Or we're becoming a little more brittle, a little more rigid, a little more angry and uptight. Like, we're, you know, life happens. We're always becoming a certain kind of person. And that is true for everyone. That's just part of being human. We're, we're highly kind of malleable. We, we shift and we change. And that, you know, that broad process, like I said, the more academic term to describe that, you could say that entire lifelong process is a process of spiritual formation or the formation of one's interior life that of course impacts then everything. That's spiritual formation. And a really provocative way of driving this point home, it's, it's, it's like this isn't something you sign up for. This isn't something you choose. It's happening. It's happening right now. It'll be happening three weeks from now. It was happening two years ago. It's just part of being human. And one of my favorite authors, Dallas Willard, had a way of driving home this point when he said that terrorists as well as saints have had a spiritual formation. Does that make sense? Okay, so we just need to level set. Formation is happening all the time for all of us, whether you like it or not. But that's not really part of my diagram. That's just our starting point. So. That is going on all the time. However, if we've entered into a life-changing relationship with the God of the universe through the person of Jesus, and I draw this as a very messy line because that's a very different experience for a lot of different people, but there's a couple things we would say now about that soul, right? This is just a human soul over time, right? And if they've encountered the grace, the goodness, the person of Jesus, they've had that seed of, of God's grace planted deep within. Now you could say that soul has gone from death to life, from darkness to light. Tracking with that, right? But now, what do we know about the formation of someone who is as Paul would say, in Christ. What is the formation of someone who is in Christ? So there's a couple things the scriptures tell us. One is that the destination 
is no longer just sort of random and left up to the winds of whatever is going on in one's life. Scripture is clear in several places that we are being formed into the likeness, the image of Jesus, right? We're being formed into the image of Christ. Galatians 4.19, Paul's talking to this group, this church that he had sort of founded and was a mentor to, and he says that he feels like he's in the pains of childbirth. That's, you know, serious. You kind of wonder where he got his data, but um, (laughs) maybe in the first century, you know, it was a little closer to home or something. (laughs) He had a better sense. But anyway, Paul says, there's a whole other topic about this later. I'm digressing. Paul says he feels like he's in that kind of intense pain until Christ is formed in them. But what I think is interesting is that he's assuming that that's happening. His assumption is that that is what's happening for everybody. It wasn't for the contemplatives. It wasn't for the people who signed up for the 501 spiritual formation class. His assumption was that this was everyone who was in Christ He feels this pain. And those of you who have been leaders, you know what that feels like when you're seeing somebody journey toward their growth and you see them wrestling and we feel a certain kind of pain when we see someone else journeying on their faith journey, right? That's beautiful. But Paul's assumption was that this was an everybody thing. All right, so what does it mean to be formed in the likeness of Jesus? Does that mean we wear beards and sandals? No, it's not the exterior It's the interior, the character of Jesus, that we would be shaped, that spiritual formation means that in Christ we will be shaped into the kinds of people who naturally do what God would do if he were in our place. That we naturally might love the things that God would love, we might disdain the things that God would disdain, we might forgive the things that God would forgive, we might have compassion on the things that God would have compassion. And as we are growing, as this happens, those things become more and more natural. They're not contrived or forced or cramped. They're opening. They're what increasingly makes sense to us. That's a powerful idea about transformation. So that's the goal. And and also, I just need to say, ultimately, you know, marked by love. Well, again, I'm not an artist, but the idea of increasing love for God, for others, for the least, for the lost, love for self, love for neighbor, love for enemy, all of these markers are increasing capacities for love. Pretty compelling. More and more people like this in the world, we show up differently at work, in neighborhoods, in households, in ministries, we show up differently when we are these increasingly becoming these kinds of people. So we know that is the goal or the destination. But the second thing we can know from the scriptures about this process of transformation comes to us from Philippians. And this arrow isn't so much about direction or destination, this is about energy, power, coming from God toward us, toward this process of transformation. And the scripture we're gonna look at is Philippians 1.6, right? The same guy that wrote Galatians is writing to this church, and he's telling them a really important, and us, a really important truth, that they could be confident in this, that he who began this good work will be faithful to complete it. It was begun by grace, and it will continue by grace. 
And he's saying that, you know, it's not like if you just straighten up and fly right, God will kind of give you the booster rockets, or if you just do everything so, then God will get involved. To the contrary, we can be confident. When you lay your head on the pillow at night, you're not lifting a finger toward a process. You're resting. The God of the universe is doing what only God can do. And it's, it's significant that now, when we've entered into this relationship with God, now the Holy Spirit has taken up residence within us in a very mysterious but real way. And now from within, the God of the universe is doing the things that only God can do, right? He, the Holy Spirit we know is, is comforting us, is convicting us, is instructing us, is teaching us, reminding us of the things that Jesus said interceding on behalf. There's all these things that the Holy Spirit is doing. How often? 24 7, 365. Always. The Spirit of the living God is at work toward this process in your life and in mine. Always. Always, always. Very powerful. Intuitively, though, we know that there's energy we bring, right, for this process. We don't sort of just float downstream into our journey of transformation. So let's, let's posit that there's going to be energy we bring that comes sort of from our side. And often we get super motivated to be like, yeah, 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 I, I get that idea. I want to be more like Jesus. And we, we drop into our little gap analysis, right? It's like, here's Mindy current state, here's Mindy future state, and we kind of like map quest our little way. Map quest isn't, nobody even uses it anymore. Okay, so <laughs> we, we sort of like try to plot our own pathway. Uh, I felt this strongly in, in when I remembered uh, that I had done this when I was in college. Because um, when we see this vil- very compelling picture, we're like, tell me, what's the work I need to do? Many of us are wired to go do work. We like working. We, we want to bring our energy toward a goal that we think is important. What's the work we do? And I, I think this is, this is the one that I want to hunker on because I think so many of us easily misunderstand. I know I did for a very long time. What is the work I do? And my heart is open before God. I'll do anything. Tell me what, what do I do? Um, There was a season when I was in college where uh, my now husband and I had gone to a a conference, like a Christmas conference that was sponsored by the campus ministry that we were part of. And during that conference, uh, one of the speakers gave this like really compelling message about the fruit of the Spirit, that there would be these telltale signs of the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life. It would be love, joy, and peace, and patience. And there's nine things that are mentioned in Galatians 5. And I came back from that conference going, yes, that's the kind of person I wanna be. And I took my little day planner, and those of you under 40, we used to write things down uh, in, in a physical book. It's quite charming. And, uh, and, and so I loved my little thing. And, uh, and so I, I had all those, you know, my courses and classwork and homework in it. And so there was like a month view at a time. And so I thought, I get it. I, I get this idea of the fruit of the Spirit. And I, I, I wrote down at the top of January, love, February, joy, March, peace, April, patience, all the way through to August or September. I figured if I can learn calculus, 
I can learn the fruit of the Spirit, right? Right. <laughs> you can guarantee that by the time April came around, I had given up on the project altogether. There's a kind of learning that's about us becoming that is far different than conceptual head knowledge. And it's vital that we enter into that kind of becoming because it's all too easy for us to have head knowledge about, say, learning to forgive. We might know everything Jesus ever said about it, but are we becoming forgiving people? That's a different question. And my pursuit of those topics wasn't gonna land in my brain the way calculus did. It had to land in a different place in my soul. But nonetheless, the point was, I was willing to do the work. I just didn't know what the work was. And I find that in many environments, I've done a lot of work in ministries all over a lot of places, that a lot of Jesus's people can end up being almost like what I call Christian contortionists, trying to do the work of being like Jesus. And we think, oh, I should be more forgiving and I should listen better and I should give sacrificially and I should, you know, whatever. And we get all like from the outside in trying to make ourselves into something we're fundamentally not or not yet. And in, we, we become, we can't run a race that's marked out for us. We can't go do the things in the world. We become sort of stiff and awkward instead of generative and life-giving to the people around us. And I think it doesn't have to be that way, but this is, this is the point we're trying to get to today, is what is the work we do? Let's anchor it in scripture first that there is work. Philippians 2, same guy writing to the same group people, the next page over in my Bible, says that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. He's not saying be afraid of God, it's more like take this seriously, don't toy with this. Your growth matters, your journey with God, working out your salvation actually matters. Now, he's not saying work for your salvation, that's been settled. But he's saying work it out, press it through. Thank God the day I came into a relationship with God wasn't the day that God pulled out a laundry list of all the areas that I needed to grow in and said, get after it, Mindy, go, go, go. And there was, it was a long list, <laughs> should that list have ever been written. But that's not how God operates. He invites us gradually into what our next step is, and then what the next step is, and then what the next step is. He's a trustworthy guide in this lifelong process of becoming. But yet we're left with what is the work that we do, because I do believe there is work that we can and must do that is vital that opens us up to all of this. Because as you can imagine, when these two arrows collide, there's <laughs> the combustion of transformation, the furnace of transformation, when that happens, the tectonic plates of our interior soul structure start to shift. And the spirit of the living God can move in and shape and reshape who we are at the core of our being, guys. That's, I am not kidding, this is real. God does this. I draw a big rectangle here to depict, if you will, a container. 
a container. I believe the work we can and must do, and the ancients have said, spoken of this, the work we can and must do that's only ours to do, no one does, no one does this for you, is to carve out the time and the space to become aware of and responsive to this ongoing work in your life. I'll say that again. That's my definition of a, of a spiritual practice or some, a way you care for your soul, is the intentionality that each one of us brings to carving out the time, the space, to pay attention to and be responsive to this ongoing work of God in our lives. Because while this is going on 24-7, 365, what fluctuates is our receptivity, our openness, our awareness. Sometimes we use the expression, oh, God hit me upside the head with a two by four to get my attention, right? Like, what if he didn't have to? <laughs> what if we create a way of life that allows us to remain attentive to the unseen, attentive to God's presence, his activity, his invitations, his reminders, all those things, that's the work that we can and must do. And you, as Doug was talking about last week and as we all sort of intuitively know, that's kind of contrary to modern life, right? We're sort of inclined to stay in our heads and just go, go, go. And we miss so much that's going on in and around us just because we lack the awareness and the willingness to move in. Now, I think these, I, I'm saying that's a container, I think there's three relational contexts that are important to name, and I'll be really quick with this. One is us with many people, a relational context like you're in today. We carve out time and space to gather, and there are ways that God meets us in this container that are bringing transformation. Maybe you've had this happen in this very room or in another one where there was a time of corporate worship or teaching or prayer or times the community was fasting together and whatever it is, there are ways that the living God connects with us when we're connected to each other in a large setting. And that's why we put so much effort into creating the right kind of space for those encounters. That's totally good. There's also a way that we connect with maybe, maybe just a few people or one or two where we are deeply known. My friends, my spiritual friends, my soul friends, spiritual directors, they know the good, the bad, and the ugly. They are for me. They are for my journey. They invite me in the context of relationship to do the work of this container, to pay attention and be responsive to the ongoing work of God in my life. Some of you have been in mentoring relationships or small groups or any number of things where we arrange our lives. It takes work. You have to schedule time and you have to sort of be vulnerable. There's, there's effort that goes into it, but it's so that we can become the kinds of people who are aware of and responsive to God's work in our lives. So some is one with many, some is us with just a few. And then often we think of spiritual practices, I think all of these are practices by the way, of just us with God, and that's my little shorthand for God. But this is, you know, you on your couch with a cup of coffee, one of my core spiritual practices, cup of coffee. Um, and and how, how, 
how, how is your soul quietly just with God right now? All of those get woven together, not into some rigid mechanical striving thing, but into a way of life that keeps our souls attentive, open, responsive, and yielded. Now, when I was talking to Doug about what we were gonna talk about this morning, he added something. He's like, Mindy, I love your diagram, and I wanna add something. So, I'm gonna give you the Doug bonus, and I'll probably include this from now on, because he was so right. He's like, Mindy, there is an enemy to our souls who, throughout our journey, is bringing destruction, havoc, doing whatever he can, and I draw this way down at the bottom with ugly, indistinct arrows to just reinforce the fact that that is an enemy of your soul. Let's first make this. That enemy of your soul prowls around, Peter tells us, like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We're not talking about somebody to kind of give you a bummer hard day. This is about blood and guts, death and destruction. And there is an enemy of your soul and mine and your family and your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers who is the antithesis of life, the antithesis of light. But that is a defeated enemy, let's be clear, right? We do not cower, we anchor into the person of Jesus but it's gonna require us to be aware when distractions come, when temptations come, when things that are part of how this world is come our way. When we understand what's really at stake, I think it helps us to ignore that voice. And we don't, I don't think it's a good idea to just like start arguing with this voice. We just run to the cross, we run to God. We say, if you have a complaint about me, you go talk to Jesus about it, meanwhile, we're gonna hang out. That's my advice on spiritual warfare right there. <laughs> All right, so let's see. Have I left anything out of this diagram? I don't, I don't think so. Does that make sense as a vision? Sometimes when people talk about spiritual formation, they think we're talking just about things you do in a hyper-individualized way, yourself and God. And I want us to broaden our understanding of spiritual formation so we see this whole big picture. Isn't that a compelling vision? Now, human soul, changing over time, all those kinds of things, I wanna finish by anchoring us in a metaphor that has been helpful to me personally and to many people. Um, and the way I get about this is to draw from uh, an expression that a lot of people use in a work or a, a team environment, could be sports team, a work or ministry team, but do you guys use that expression of like, what do different people bring to the table? Do you know that? Okay, so like, you know, somebody brings creativity to the table, somebody brings uh, administration, somebody brings leadership, and as everybody brings what they bring, the idea is the project then moves forward, right? Whatever that project is. Now, I, I need a volunteer. You don't have to like do anything or say anything, but I need somebody's actual name. What's your name? Forest. Forest? Awesome, thank you, Forest. What's on the table is a version of Forrest two years from now that is more like Jesus than he is right now. He seems like an awesome guy, but do we believe that that version is possible? Yes, 
Yes, with great joy, with great joy. <laughs> He's saying, I hope so. <laughs> yes, we all hope that for you and for us and for me, right? Okay, so Forest, two years from now, that's the project. That is what is metaphorically on the table. So there are two chairs at this table. One of those chairs is for God, and one of those chairs is for Forest. So let's start with God. What does God bring to the table for that two years from now version of Forest that is, say, more grace-giving, more courageous, more bold, more creative? Whatever it is that God has, what does God bring to the table in order for that version of Forest to come forward? Unconditional. Unconditional love, excellent. What else? Wisdom. Yep, patience brings a lot of good things. Somebody might have said this, I'm not sure. There's one word I'm always also looking for. Those are all good. Um, And the word is power. We have got to get clear on this, guys. Only God actually brings the power that brings that forward future version of forest. So, but let's let's think more about that. God uh, here, is God sitting in, well, how often is God here? Always, always, always. And is God's presence like just kind of turned away a little hacked off that Forrest isn't quite as loving as he should be? No, what is God's posture here? He has leaned in. You could say he has given everything, everything of himself for Forrest's destiny, life, calling, future. So that's what God brings. But there is this chair here for Forrest. And uh, what does Forrest bring for this project to move forward? Nobody wants to say anything. <laughs> okay. I will say a few things. Forrest has to bring availability, openness, yieldedness. It is not an impressive list. Sorry, Forrest. Um, This is the one who holds all things together. The eternal one, the pulse that sits at the center of the world, the universe, who is full of goodness and light. Um, Forrest's list is not impressive. But bring it he must, or this does not move forward. God, our God is a respecter of persons and does not move into the human soul uninvited. That is true at the beginning of our journey with God and that is true throughout. Some of us, and I know this was true for me and probably maybe still is in in certain areas of my life, some of us end up living highly defended against God. Highly defended against God having access to certain parts. Highly defended against, and, and actually it's a hard thing for us to learn to sit down. Many of us come into a relationship with God and we start sort of running that race that's marked out for us, kind of like we came into this room and we start doing laps around and we, we maybe run right by this table and we slap God a high five because it's like, this is so fun. We love, love being involved, love what you're doing, love this great community. 
and we take another lap and another lap and another lap and we might have been running for years right past this invitation. And we kind of get addicted to our running. We like running, we feel effective, we feel strong, we feel in control, we feel like we're working on God's purposes. But we run right past this invitation. And it actually is hard for many of us to learn to stop that running. To learn to sit down maybe to turn towards, maybe to get quiet. Because you know what, you feel useless. I'm not doing anything. Learning to rest in God's good care, saying have your way at a level below words. I don't even need to know. You know, sometimes we go, well God is working on this in my life, how do we know? How do we let ourselves stay open? We might know, but we might not. What is God doing? What might he do? There are times I've wondered, I've asked groups like this and wondered in my own spirit, like why, why is it so hard to sit down? Like I said, sometimes we just like the running, we feel addicted to it, we like to be needed, we like to keep moving. I think there are deeper issues too sometimes. I think there's a, Maybe a resistance to being loved, to being that deeply known and that open. I'm not a psychologist, maybe there's people who would know better than me what those reasons are, but I do know, and there's an enemy, right, who's saying, don't sit down, don't sit down, don't sit down, keep going, your value isn't what you do, go, go, go. What does it mean to sit down and get quiet? and rest. How long has it been for you since you really just stopped to be with God? Again, maybe this is your way of life and your routine and please mentor the rest of us. But if it's been a very long time for you, what might God have for you? I gave this, and I will do this for you as well, as an assignment one time. I was teaching a class, and, uh, and one of the guys came up to me the next week, because I had said I'd left this assignment, like, hey, over the next little bit, find two actual chairs in your real life. Could be at a coffee shop, could be a, in your home, or in your car, in your office, wherever, but find two chairs and kind of tilt them towards each other, and take some time to just sit down and see what it feels like to like embody that willingness. And uh, this gentleman came up to me afterwards and he said, Mindy, I, I just wanna talk to you about what happened. And I was like, sure. He said, I, I went into that time, it was, he was at a, like a Starbucks or something, and so he's like, there's noise and busyness all around me, but I turned these two chairs and kind of put my stuff on one of them so nobody would sit there. But I, I sat in that chair and I, I, you know, he's like, I own a business and I have these really big decisions that are in front of me right now. And I wanted so much to hear what God would say about go this way, go that way, how to resolve this situation. I don't remember the details. He said, I sat, so I sat there really eager, desiring, but I tried to just do what you said and just get quiet. He said, the, the only thing I heard was, I love you. I love you. 
And he, he, you know, the week later, he's telling me this story. And in all seriousness, he looks at me and he goes, do you think that was God? Do you think that was God? And how many times when we're caught up in that, I know I need this, I've got this decision, I've got this decision, how much do we need to hear what Henry Nouwen called the inner voice of love? How much, once hearing that, do those decisions start to find their way? But I don't know about you, but I need to hear that voice of love a lot, more than I probably knew. And sometimes God might say other things or nothing. But this is an invitation not only to Forrest, but this is an invitation for you. Who might you be two years from now? What version of you will show up at your office, in your family, in your workspace, toward your siblings or parents or children? And what twinkle is in God's eye over you? He doesn't sit here judging your deficiencies. That's, 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 that comes from there. The invitation that stands for you and for me is will we stop the running? Will we get quiet? You know, there's a lot of times we, we, we think, oh, I just, I need a, you know, I need half a day of solitude or I need to have my quiet time in the morning. Those are all really good things. But in my experience, it is entirely possible to burn through a 45 minute quiet time and never actually sit down. That might shake your snow globe a little bit, but think about it. It is entirely possible to burn through, I've read all these chapters and I'm doing this and I'm reading my devotional, I'm writing in my journal and never, never, never have this happen. One of the first times I took a solitude, uh, half day of solitude, I had young kids at the time. And when you have young kids, you need like an act of Congress to get away for a couple hours. And by God's grace, one came. I found it always happened on the high holidays, right? It was like 4th of July or something, but I took it. And I sat there churning for hours. And it was probably in the last 45 minutes of a five hour afternoon that my soul finally did this. Guys, I would want that for you. I think God wants that for you. So your assignment, should you choose to accept it, will be to find two chairs, maybe today, maybe later this week when this idea comes back to you. Take it as an invitation. Feel what it feels like to sit down turn, to be quiet, see how much your soul is anxious and wants to be productive and tell it, we'll be productive later. Right now, we're just being here. And my hope for each of you, because you have your own name here, and you know what two years from now might look like in your life, 
but there's also you as a collective. And your church is amazing. And I wonder what this community two years from now looks like because of you. Let's pray. Oh Jesus, you are so trustworthy and good. We are so grateful for how you lead us, how you guide us, how you are tender with us. You are not harsh, you are not angry, you are love. You are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. All those things describe you. So God, whatever it is that might be a barrier to our finding time and space to be aware of and responsive to you, whatever might cause us to resist being open in, in your presence, we just ask you for help. We ask for you to guide us, show us, highlight in our minds those chairs. Even right now might come to mind. It's, it's in my desk, it's in my living room. Highlight that invitation for each one of us, God. And we say yes to your invitation. We'll do it authentically at the right time, not forced but we wanna show up and we wanna be with you. And we wanna say, have your way. For our sake, for your glory, and for the advancing of your kingdom in our day, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.